topic of our discourse certainly this evening is the insight knowledge of equanimity about formations. And certainly with this topic we will connect back to the previous demo talk on Monday, namely on equanimity. Now, before we go into the details of that particular knowledge of certain equanimity bonds or towards certain formations, allow me to tie in one question that was certainly submitted for the question and answer session some time ago. And the question is, uh, I have a simple question at the very end of the refuges and precepts, you always say something. <laughs> and everyone responds, what do you say? And, and uh, what do people say back? And what does this all of this mean? So, <laughs> good question. And the reference here is to the Pali words Apamadena Sampadeta. And upon hearing this, you say Amabante. Now, the, this expression, or a very short statement, Apamadena Sampadeta, can be traced back to the Diganikaya, the long discourses of the Buddha, and Satna there in particular to the Mahaparinibbana Sutta. So the discourse on the great passing away of the Buddha. The same passage in a slightly different way can also be found in the Samyutta Nikaya. Now, the the expression apamadena sampadita in, in the word apamadena you have apamada the pani word apamada which means what diligence, diligence yes now that's it diligence heedfulness and uh, uh, now then in a wider sense this could be interpreted as certain mindfulness and certainly the Apamadina, it's an instrumental uh, case, and so with diligence and then Sampadeta. Um, one way of translating it, you know, this certainly short certain statement is strive on with diligence. Or as certainly Morris Walsh, uh, the translator of the Diganikaya, has certainly proposed a strife on untiringly. Now, the Buddha, when he used uh, these words, he said, Now, monks, I declare to you, all conditioned things are of a nature to what? to decay, and certain, which is a part of the arising uh, and passing of formations. And then the next uh, um, part, next bit is strive on untiringly. 
And these were the Tathagata's last words. Now, to give you a little bit more, or to give you some context you know, to you know, this uh, statement of the Buddha. So the Buddha was lying there between the two sala trees in Kushinara, um, present-day Kushinagar, and in northern India. And so, you know, then he knew his death was going to um, approach or it was going to happen very soon. And so he then addressed Ananda, his uh, attendant of many years, saying, Ananda, you might or maybe it could, it could happen that certain thoughts such as this cross your mind. Namely, with the impending passing of uh, the Blessed One, the Enlightenment, the Enlightened One. What should to whom should we go for refuge? And the Buddha then clarified that some people, one person or another, that might certainly stand up and say, "Okay, now that certainly the or, or once the Buddha has passed away, that now that he has passed away, I will be the new leader of the order." And certainly the Buddha uh, dismissed certainly that notion by saying, "Let the Dhamma and Winia be your uh, teacher." So the Dhamma, the teachings, and the Vinya, the discipline. So may the Dhamma and certainly the discipline be your teacher in the future. Now, having clarified this certain point, he then spoke to Ananda again, and Ananda and the entire a group of 500 monastics that certainly surrounded him and asking them whether they still have had some doubts or some uncertainties about the Dhamma that he had preached or taught over a period of 45 years. And um, there was silence. So no, no single question was asked, no single point remained to be clarified. And Ananda was certainly very pleased with this, saying, oh, how wonderful, how wonderful this is. And then after that occurrence, the Buddha uttered the words that I just quoted now, Oh, monastics, I declare to you, all conditioned things are of a nature of decay. In Pali, that part is Vaya Dhamma Sankara, and then Apamadena Sampadeta. So, strive on with diligence or strive on untiringly. What certainly followed was certainly the Buddha. Then meditating, entering into the first jhana, 
having dwelt in the first jhana some uh, time, he then emerged from, from it, entered into the second jhana, then into the third, into the fourth, and suddenly from there on, uh, having uh, um, emerged from the fourth jhana, he then entered the first among the immaterial jhanas, namely the sphere of infinite space. Having emerged from that, he entered the sphere of infinite consciousness. Having emerged from that, he entered into the sphere of nothingness and finally into the sphere of neither perception nor non-perception. And so in other words, he went um, through all of the material and fine or immaterial jhanas and from there he entered into what is being stated as the cessation of fatna feeding and perception. And Satna then the great passing away. With that, the great passing away took place. Now, these words strive on with diligence and preceded by Vayatna Dhamma Sankara, namely, all formations are uh, of the nature to decay or um, basically of the nature of impermanence. Those Sapna two statements very much um, summarize or give you a gist of Fatna, the Buddha's teachings. And the Buddha, having spoken a great deal on the impermanence of formations, um, once one sees, deeply sees the impermanence of formations, one is likely to also come to understand the unsatisfactory nature of formations and certainly then based on seeing impermanence and unsatisfactoriness sooner or later the understanding of anatta of non-self will arise. Now, did the Buddha say um, all conditions, all conditions of things are of a nature to decay and then take it easy. <laughs> he did not say that at all. Yeah, there are teachers who... <laughs> may take... Who... Um, <laughs> who are willing to uh, contradict Satna the Buddha on this point. Now, it is when one practice, when one strives in the, pra- in, in the meditation practice, in mental development, bhavana, which Satna then, and, and, which is based on virtuous conduct, also on activities of or acts of fatna generosity, so dana sila bhavana. When one practices like this, the dhamma is, or one is going to experience the main aspects of fatna, the Buddha's teachings.
Now, during uh, this uh, one month uh, retreat, all of you have put in a huge amount of balanced uh, effort day in and day out. And certain our results there are not there. Would you go back to day one? No? Would you say it's the same uh, what you understand now is the same as on day one? No? So that's it. And <laughs> so it is you know, by striving in a balanced way in conjunction with diligence, so you know, by extension uh, with uh, mindfulness, that you know, the practice unfolds and suddenly the mind becomes increasingly concentrated, intuitive wisdom unfolds you know, in a systematic manner, stage by stage, and you know, sooner or later when the necessary conditions are there, um, a retreatant might experience uh, the uh, very peace of uh, uh, the noble path of stream entry. So maybe this much as an answer to your uh, question on Abhamadena Sampadeta. Now, As announced, uh, the topic uh, being for this discourse, uh, the insight knowledge of equanimity about certain uh, formations. Now, this particular uh, insight uh, knowledge represents um, one of uh, the higher uh, stages of uh, intuitive insight and this particular insight knowledge can be seen as the springboard to the crossing over crossing over from mundane consciousness to super mundane consciousness now during this certain particular and insight knowledge, globally speaking, the, the mind is in a pretty, in various, as in various ways, uh, in an almost uh, uh, optimal condition. In terms of mindfulness, ideally it is really sharp and so present in a continuous manner from micro moment to micro moment in terms of concentration if it's certain well developed this too will be strong and very strong even to an extent that retreatants at times are totally absorbed in the observation of some predominant object, barely aware of what is going on around them. In 
terms of wisdom, in terms of understanding this too, becomes sudden very uh, clear and sudden certain. In terms of sudden effort, the effort gradually becomes what uh, the venerable side Upandita Bhivams of Burma has referred to as effortless satna effort, and satna this effort is of a very high uh, degree. At times, strong, if not very strong, uh, joy arises. It might be so strong you know, that uh, it might might be even a bit too much, so that one needs to uh, grind it. Uh, now don't, now the mind at times becomes exceedingly calm and peaceful, uh, serene. So in many, and uh, there's a lot of clarity of mind, uh, a lot of brightness certainly of the mind. The mind is working, is operating at almost its certain best. Now, it takes a lot of certain practice. It takes uh, facing plenty of challenges in the course of Satipatthana meditation for the mind to eventually reach that satna state of equanimity towards satna formations. And just like with equanimity, we have to work for it in the same way when it comes to this knowledge of equanimity about formations here too you know the equanimity at first will arise just briefly it will be still very fragile and over time it needs to be protected it needs to be nourished it certainly needs to be supported gradually it will then get stronger and stronger and certainly will last over longer and longer periods of time. One prerequisite for all of this to happen is a profound understanding of anatta and in particular of the aspect of void. Namely, to understand uh, that a formation is void of fatna self or of what belongs to self. Or furthermore, to understand I I am not anywhere anyone's owning, nor is there anywhere that my uh, owning in anyone. So to put it differently, one understands the aspect of fatna voidness, sunyata, in a fourfold way, namely, there is no myself, there's nothing belonging to myself, there's no another self, and there's uh, nothing belonging to another self.
No. In terms of you know, the Pali you know, terminology, Sankara, Upika, Jnana, the Pali term Jnana means insight, knowledge, and Satna then. Um, sankara are your conditioned you know, formations, formations that are conditioned by you know, the impermanence of you know, things, by you know, dukkha, so the unsatisfactoriness, and certainly then further conditioned you know, by anatta. And upika is the Pali term for you know, equanimity. So it's the insight knowledge of equanimity towards certain you know, formations. Now, the Visuddhi Magga in its fourth chapter, paragraph 161, gives the following definition for this particular insight knowledge. It says, equanimity about formations is a name for equanimity consisting in neutrality about the knowledge of reobservation and composure regarding the hindrances and other uh, phenomena. So there's neutrality towards the whole range of Fatna formations as they come up of the earlier preceding insight knowledge, the knowledge of Fatna reobservation. And Satna, the next aspect is that of maintaining composure. Composure in the sense of firmness of the mind. So even if this or that hindrance comes up, the mind, as it is firm, is no longer uh, affected by it. It simply just doesn't touch the mind. Interestingly enough, the Patisamida Magga, the path of discrimination, gives a somewhat or pretty much related or similar definition. It says, inside knowledge of desire for deliverance, of reobservation, and of composure is knowledge of equanimity about formations. So this is referring back to two earlier insight knowledges, so the knowledge of desire for deliverance and following this, the knowledge of reobservation. So those three together then are considered to be the knowledge of equanimity of formations together with composure. Now, when a retreatant has suddenly been you know, doing intensive practice for a longer period of time, let's say minimum four weeks or um, even two months or three months or more than that, such a retreatant will have had to deal with a great range of formations, a great range of experiences and certain kind of will know his or her way around. And you could say such a meditator has become what? 
Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's just the word I had in mind. So such a meditator um, will have become a professional meditator. And it's kind of like uh, um, he or she has seen it all. There's just nothing that suddenly can shake this person anymore. And so even if the most challenging experiences come up in the form of the five hindrances and other unwholesome mental states, or in the form of terrible physical pains and aches, and whatever other combination might be possible, yet the mind is perfectly all right with what is happening. It's not shaken by what is happening. Now, in order to get some, or to become somewhat more acquainted with this insight knowledge, at least on a theoretical basis, just imagine for three days in a row outside of intensive retreat, you go through life with the highest degree of equanimity about formations. Some, some person comes along and shouts and abuse at you. The mind remains unaffected. Someone else comes and puts a lot of praise or praises you greatly. And the, the mind continues to remain totally balanced. And so, you know, then you realize you have just lost $10,000. <laughs> and the mind still remains unshaken. <laughs> or uh, if uh, you know, then, uh, it so happens uh, you've just won the jackpot of several million dollars, again, the mind remains unaffected. So there's no being totally overjoyed. So just imagine going through three days out in of your daily life with certain perfect certain equanimity about certain formations. So there's no no going from one extreme to another from going from much liking to extreme and disliking, preferring one thing over another. There's no partiality, being partial towards certain, uh, let's say, a group of people and being impartial to and towards another group. So during this sudden knowledge of equanimity, as retreatants, we will gradually learn to become more and more equanimous and towards the whole range of Fatna formations 
and satnya, that satnya then will be experienced as satnya, rather uh, rewarding, rather satisfying, much better uh, than uh, this uh, earlier reactive mind. Maybe one modern modern example for this. Once I've read somewhere there was a factory owner who had set up a relative or had set up a factory and that was operating the factory for a few years and one day his wife comes and tells him uh, dear I have some sad news for you the factory just burned down and so many millions or yeah, many millions of dollars invested all gone and the response by you know, the factory owner was never mind it's, it represents an opportunity you know, to avoid the mistakes I've made in, in setting up the factory for uh, you know, the first time around. And the man was okay with it. Now, just imagine that kind of a, a balance of mind. Neither totally despairing nor you know, being overjoyous over you know, the experience. Now, with time, the mind becomes increasingly equanimous, and then the Visuddhimagga goes. The Visuddhimagga describes that one sees nothing to be taken as I or mine. One further abandons both terror and delight and becomes equanimous and neutral towards all formations. And at that point, something interesting happens, namely, as the Visuddhimagga explains, rightly explains, the heart retreats, retracts, and recoils from the three kinds of uh, uh, becoming and uh, you know, then um, you know, from other you know, formations. And either equanimity you know, gets established in the mind or repulsiveness. Another term for repulsiveness would be disenchantment you know, with uh, formations or you know, being disgusted you know, with formations. And at that point, just as water drops retreat, retract, and recoil on a lotus leaf that slopes a little and do not spread out, so too one's heart retreats, retracts, and recoils from the three kinds of becoming.
And so either equanimity or repulsiveness will be established in the mind. So if one, ideally, if one does manage to establish equanimity, well, the practice will remain in equanimity. But if once the overall strength of the mind is still and still weak and certainly a bit discontinuous, then the equanimity present will collapse and certainly the practice will drop off. It will drop, it will dip, it may uh, dip just a little bit. It's the text here, the Visuddhimagga says, it will drop to the place of repulsiveness or disenchantment, which is actually one of the insight knowledges. It's also said to be one of the so-called dukkha jnanas. Now, if all of a sudden one finds oneself in dukkha jnana, then is this... Will this provide great joy? <laughs> it uh, will be rather, mm, no, 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 well, no, rather discouraging you know, to uh, retreat in, and so, uh, then mm, uh, one can't certainly uh, help in the face of all now, the dukkha that comes along you know, with this uh, knowledge of uh, repulsiveness, uh, that uh, mm, quite naturally the mind uh, wants to be free from it. It wants uh, to be free from it. It remembers earlier experiences, limited experiences of equanimity bound formations, and that's what it wants to uh, go back to. And it's a very the very natural uh, development certainly to happen. Now, it is in this way that in a retreat arises what is called the knowledge of equanimity about formations. And a retreat, if certainly five controlling faculties as well as the you know, seven enlightenment factors are not well mm, established and are not certainly well balanced, then mm, a retreatant might end up staying in that knowledge of equanimity for long periods of time. However, the Visuddhimagga goes on to say if this certain knowledge sees Nibbana, the state of peace, as peaceful, it rejects the occurrence of all formations and enters only into Nibbana. If it does, does not see Nibbana as peaceful, it occurs again and again with formations as its object, like the sailor's crow. So you have to understand there's this desire after having observed and contemplated conditioned formations under so many different aspects. There's the desire to break free from all of this. But one doesn't quite yet find certainly the exit route. 
And certainly, no one's practice will go round and round in uh, circles. And if eventually the right certain conditions are there, then you know, the mind uh, uh, transcends conditioned formations and uh, you know, then consciousness you know, takes nibbana uh, uh, takes, uh, um, takes as an object of observation. And Nibbana you know, being, of course, an unconditioned phenomenon. Now, the illustration that the Visuddhimagga gives here for you know, these certain uh, various attempts at um, finding the path towards the peaceful state of Nibbana is that of Fatna traders long time ago, this is many, many centuries ago, before you know, the invention of Fatna uh, compasses. So traders would board a ship and they would take with them what is called a, a land-finding crow. When the ship, on occasion, got blown off its course by gales and went adrift with no land in sight, then you know, the traders would suddenly release the land-finding crow. So it would uh, rise up into uh, the sky and after exploring all the quarters, if that land-finding a crow would see land, it would fly straight in the direction of it. If not, it would return and suddenly then alight on the mast head. And then on, at a later occasion, the traders would release suddenly that land-finding crow for a second time, for a third time, until finally the crow would see land somewhere at the horizon, and then the crew would sail in that direction. So once a retreatant has tasted, has had the first taste of Fatna, the peaceful nature of Fatna quite naturally, the mind will want to go back to this over and over again. And the reason for this being that Fatna, the state of the unconditioned, is by far superior you know, than you know, this constant bombardment of you know, the sense doors you know, by uh, the sense impressions. Now, as long as certainly we are caught up in the world of conditioned formations, do we really have an understanding of what Nibbana is all about? Hmm? Ron is shaking his head. No, <laughs> we do not have. All we might have is just an idea about it, some imagination about it, but certainly that might or might not be uh, true. Now, 
Wenn wir Mahasi sind of Burma, mentioned six qualities that certainly describe the knowledge of certain equanimity about formations. And those six qualities are really helpful. They're helpful even for retreatants to kind of see where you know, their practice is at. The first one is, there is an absence of fear and sudden delight. Or differently put, a retreat and is neither frightened nor elated with certain of the objects and certain uh, with certain of the observation itself. During the very transition stage from the knowledge of reobservation to the knowledge of equanimity. There may be a few minor experiences of fitness fear occasionally arising, but as soon as the mind gets stronger, the equanimity gets a bit stronger, then that sudden fear and sudden delight, so the pair of opposites of fear and delight, will simply fall away. Secondly, pain and pleasure are seen by the retreatant with equanimity. Now, that's quite a statement, if you think of it. So, usually when we experience a pain, well, it's a, a solid, tangible um, formation, and so there is no doubt that you know, the pain is, or that this is a painful experience. However, over time, our attitude to towards formations, the way we perceive formations, changes, and when equanimity comes up, a pain is just another what? Just another sensation, just another formation, and that's all. And that unpleasantness that is usually being attributed to it, that certainly is not certainly there anymore. So the mind becomes neutral towards the pain. Now, earlier on, when delight or pleasure is there, an ordinary, uninstructed uh, retreatant would do what? Hmm? Cling to it, attach to it, and uh, indulge in it, and wanting more and more of it. But a much more experienced uh, retreatant, with a lot of maturing of the mind, that, or of wisdom, then, has taken uh, in between, will see that delight or pleasure as just another formation, nothing to get excited about, nothing to mm, desire or you know, to uh, cling to. And so then you know, there is full equanimity towards this particular uh, pair of opposites consisting of pleasure and uh, 
uh, or sorry, pain and sadness, pleasure. During the earlier phases of Fudna practice, a retreatant typically has to put in a huge amount of effort from moment to moment to moment to moment, starting from the time of Fudna waking up until the time of falling asleep. So there's a lot of fitness striving necessary. Every time some unwholesomeness enters the mind, one has to deal with it, one has to face it, one has to challenge it, one has to overcome it. But fortunately, there comes a point in the practice when that changes. Namely, where effort gradually becomes effortless effort. It comes automatically. And so all it takes is, as the Venramasi Sadhu of Fatna Burma has explained, a couple of notings, a few five to ten mm, times of Fatna labeling, observing, and knowing mm, objects during at the beginning of a sitting session, and suddenly with that, a certain momentum will be there, and then the practice will be rolling, um, um, or will will have built a good momentum, and then will be rolling on and on and on. Now, once a retreatant experiences this, obviously one is delighted, and certain uh, cherishes you know, this certain new uh, situation. Now, when you look at uh, advanced uh, retreatants, you will find that their way of practice you know, changes in different ways. One of them is that the state of equanimity in meditation lasts for longer and longer periods of time. And not only this, that retreatants also manage to do longer and longer sitting sessions. An hour and a half is no big deal, two hours is doable, and even at times three hours is possible. Or maybe even more than that. And on occasion, when one comes out of fitness such a long a sitting session, one would expect the body to be full of fitness stiffness and tension, and uh, one opens the eyes and certain gets up, and the body is all rubber-like. In certainness, so no major strains are there. It's not always like this, but at times. Now, what would you say? As certain ones, uh, in sessions, sitting on, on occasion, also walking sessions, become longer and longer, 
is the development more towards coarseness of formations or more towards refinement? Refinement, that's it. And so both the objects as well as Satna, the mind itself, the observing mind and the knowing mind, both become increasingly refined. And details that at the very outset of one's mindfulness practice or Satipatthana practice were just beyond one's capacity, now they are uh, they become uh, a second nature. The last criterion that Venerable Masisada mentions is that the meditation is fixed and steady. And apart from this, the mind recoils, the mind does not wander to any other objects. So the mind not wandering to any other objects means even if you test this mind by deliberately arousing a sensuous sudden thought, the mind might briefly go there and immediately return to the observation of the primary object or some other predominant object. So in that sense, the mind is like uh, a boomerang as used by the aboriginals in Australia. You throw it and it comes back. The meditation is fixed and certainly steady. Fixed in the sense that the mind typically will stay with a predominant object for long or extended certain periods of time. And the practice overall becomes pretty uh, steady. In the preceding insight knowledge, things were everything but steady. So the situation there is more like that of a person on a dinghy out on the Pacific Ocean in the midst of a terrible typhoon. And so being out on a dinghy in the midst of a typhoon, obviously the dinghy gets tossed around, up and down, and might even collapse, or might even flip, flip over. Unfortunately, after having reobserved this whole range of physical as well as mental formations, having seen pairs of opposites and then gradually, and having learned the lesson that these are just formations, well, gradually the mind suddenly comes down and suddenly becomes more and more uh, steady. And or, or yeah, more more steady. So, from a practical point of view, what certain can we say characterizes a retreatant who uh, experiences this knowledge of uh, equanimity? For one thing, as we've seen. 
the sittings get longer and longer. And then, what about the, the body? Will it be all restless? Jan, you're saying no? No. So the body becomes increasingly still. What about the sitting posture? The sitting posture will be upright, yes. And that will it be stiff and upright or relaxed and upright? Relaxed and upright. That's correct. So it will be still, it will be upright, it will be relaxed. And that particular posture amazingly actually happens of its own accord. It does not take a retreat in, or it does not require a retreat in, to make a superb effort towards this. Now, during this knowledge of equanimity of formations, Typically, retreatants tend to experience more mental phenomena, more mental phenomena than physical phenomena. There, of, of course, uh, you know, there you know, will be um, uh, some exposure to physical phenomena, but gradually those you know, will become imperceptible. And at, certain, you know, at the latest, at that point, you know, the mental formations will come to the foreground. Furthermore, wholesome mental states, overall, wholesome or beautiful mental states, including the enlightenment factors, the controlling faculties, will be present in the mind and will gradually become more and more balanced. Now, what else have you found to uh, mark or characterize this particular insight knowledge. Hmm? Anything else? What about the walking meditation? Is it going to be really sloppy? What would you say? What's that? Clear and precise, yes. Anything else? Easeful. Easeful, uh, yes. Will it uh, retreat and uh, look around a lot? Probably not. And so what you'll find is that so retreatants will be very focused. They'll have really good restraint of the senses. Typically, they'll move around really slowly and then paying closest attention to whatever minute sensation arises while the lifting, moving and lowering processes take place. 
on top of you know, this such retreatants or their the walking meditation can be described as sudden being um, very graceful. So even though they're walking at Satna very slow speed, yet uh, there's a lot of balance Satna to the movements. Now, they have, from a practical point of view, from a retreat and Satna point of view, you know, there are a number of aspects you know, that Satna are part of this Satna knowledge of equanimity about formations. So one aspect is that, well, there will be some of Satna, uh, some experience of a yo-yo effect. Yo-yo, you will know what is what a yo-yo is? So it's a child's toy, and it doesn't mean that you are children. And <laughs> it simply means you know, that in your practice, your practice will uh, reach equanimity, so it will move up. And if your if your mindfulness is not quite certain, continues, it may dip a little bit. It may drop off a little bit. And then, once you realize this, you will have to build up your uh, practice again. It gets really good again. Uh, much equanimity will be there. And sooner or later, uh, as, uh, there will be a lapse in your mindfulness and your practice drops off a second time. And so this may happen for those who are really gifted just a few times, or sometimes not at all, and for others, this yo-yo effect may happen many times. Now, so progressions and retrogressions through the higher insight knowledges brings a certain benefit. What might be that benefit? Pardon me? Yeah, familiarity, that is correct. Familiarity with the insight knowledges, and certain one has an opportunity on the way down you know, to um, um, well, carefully observe you know, the sequence of events. And certain when one is you know, building up one's practice, so when the progressive development is there, then one has an opportunity to carefully see the structural development over time. So this is, this, all of this can be extremely useful and instructive. Now, part of Fatna, this particular insight knowledge, is certainly furthermore frequent encounters with the three universal characteristics, namely Anicca, Dukkha, and Anatta. 
So whatever predominant object one will be observing, one will experience it either in the light of anicca or in the light of dukkha or in the light of anatta, sometimes even uh, in a combined uh, form. Now, over time, more and more beautiful mental states uh, will be present in the mind, and suddenly they you know, then will, um, and the mind suddenly will become increasingly equanimous about them, not getting attached to them. In terms of Fatna, the mindfulness, an interesting development takes place. In the knowledge of Fatna reobservation, the mindfulness could be characterized as um, having a panoramic quality. So while the focus is on the primary object at the periphery, one is aware of all sorts of other objects. But when it comes to this knowledge of equanimity, then the mindfulness becomes much more one-pointed mindfulness. So the mind is totally focused on one predominant object at a time and to the exclusion of other objects. Now, as these various aspects come to prominence, in each case, there will be, ideally speaking, there will be equanimity. So equanimity towards all physical formations, equanimity to the whole, the huge range of mental formations, towards anicca, dukkha, and anatta, towards the enlightenment factors, towards the controlling faculties, and towards the up and the progressions and retrogressions in the practice, and so on and so forth. Now, in terms of how the development of this intuitive knowledge of equanimity about formation certainly takes place, we find a short certain description or a few points mentioned in the Visuddhimagga itself, its 21st chapter, paragraph 66. And now there it states, after discerning formations as anicca, dukkha, and, anath- and anatta, and seeing formations as being void, void of a self. Secondly, after abandoning terror and delight, or in other words, fear and delight, after transcending 
pairs of opposites, then as the third aspect, after becoming equanimous or neutral in the investigation of formations, as a result of this, when a retreatant is persisting in the triple contemplation of conditioned uh, formations, then uh, this intuitive knowledge of uh, equanimity about formations enters upon the triple gateway into liberation. And the triple gateway to liberation in Pali is known as Vimokha Mukha, and certainly this could be by way of the signless Satna gate, Animita. It could be by way of the desirelessness gate, or by way of voidness, Sunyata. The second one is Apanihita, Vimokha Mukha in Pali. And so, to simplify the wording here a bit, it's by a way of anicca or dukkha or anatta that a retreatant enters into mm, or, or uh, has an experience of noble stream entry. So practically speaking, a retreatant by observing any object, could be the rising falling movement of the abdomen, or it could be sitting, touching, or this or that physical or mental formation, it doesn't really matter. While so doing, one of the three universal characteristics naturally will be predominant. And so, while one is exploring or investigating an object in the light of mm, anicca, then it could happen that the mind crosses over from mundane consciousness to supermundane consciousness. And the same thing that might happen through, uh, by the way, of uh, contemplating dukkha or observing an object in the light of dukkha, and uh, then also by uh, contemplating uh, a phenomenon uh, by way of its voidness, and suddenly then um, crossing over. So as mentioned earlier on, the knowledge of equanimity is a knowledge during which the mind for the most part consists or is composed of primarily beautiful mental states. Mental states such as faith, which Shatna goes along with clarity, which manifests as clarity or resolution, mindfulness, which manifests as uh, the mind being in a state of confrontation with regard to the predominant objects of observation, or uh, which manifests uh, in the form of uh, um, guardianship. Then, 
moral shame and fear of wrongdoing. Hiri Otapagna will be there. The mind will naturally be shrinking away from unwholesomeness. Non-greed or non-attachment. So Aloba will all ideally will be there. Non-hatred, Adosa will be present together with the neutrality of the mind or equanimity, tranquility, which manifests as peacefulness and coolness of the mind, lightness of as a mental factor, Lahuta, so uh, the mind will be non-sluggish, the mind further, or there will be the mental factor of malleability that manifests as non-resistance, so not fighting things as they are occurring, wieldiness will be there, and uh, that manifesting as success of mental body and certain consciousness in making something an object. Proficiency and rectitude you know, to further mental states will also you know, be present. Now, The discourses, especially the Samyutta Nikaya, gives um, the Bojanga Samyutta gives certain some advice on how to arouse and certainly then develop equanimity and, in particular, equanimity as an enlightenment factor, and it says. And what, O oh, retreatants, is the nutriment for the arising of the unarisen enlightenment factor of equanimity and for the fulfillment by development of the arisen enlightenment factor of equanimity? There are, O oh, retreatants, things that are the basis for the enlightenment factor of equanimity, frequently giving careful attention to them, is the nutriment for the arising of the unarisen enlightenment factor of equanimity and for the fulfillment by development of the arisen enlightenment factor of equanimity. And among those things that are you know, the basis for you know, the arising of certain equanimity that one should frequently give careful attention to, well, you know, the commentators you know, then you know, propose certain you know, the following, namely, that one maintain neutrality towards living beings, that one further maintain neutrality towards formations, that one avoids persons who adopt a discriminative attitude towards beings and formations, that one associates with persons who maintain neutrality towards beings and certain formations, and that Satna there is resoluteness upon equanimity. Just to briefly mention those. Now, since we're running late already, 
allow me to conclude by wishing. May this discourse on the intuitive knowledge of equanimity about formations inspire those of you who have not yet had a direct experience of this equanimity about formations, may it inspire you to um, work towards this, and may it inspire those who already have a direct experience of it to go on and certainly time and again experience the taste of Nibbana as being peaceful. And may this happen during the very remaining days of this retreat here at the Forest Refuge. And this is it for the discourse. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.